Hi, I'm Associate Professor Amy Gray. I'm the Director of the Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub. You're listening to Conversation with the Experts, a Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast. Hello and welcome. Today we are talking to Dr Shiv, a paediatric respiratory specialist at RCH, about how we should be managing asthma in adolescents. Welcome, Shiv. Thanks, Amy. So, Shiv, asthma is such a common condition, and like many common conditions, we as doctors tend to get really comfortable with how we manage it and how we treat patients. So before we talk about how we should be managing asthma in adolescents, perhaps you want to tell us about how we have traditionally managed asthma in these kids. Yes, so the management of asthma for pretty much all patients, including the adolescent age group, has essentially been the same way, you know, for about the past three decades. And so I think lots of us are very comfortable with that. And so the cornerstone of it is reliever therapy, and reliever therapy is with a short-acting beta agonist or SABA, and in Australia that's invariably Ventolin. So all asthmatics take Ventolin when they need and then some patients who have more frequent symptoms, so let's say more than twice a week, we also recommend they have a preventer. And most commonly, uh, the preventer is an inhaled corticosteroid, such as uh, fluticasone. Uh, and then sometimes you may add in a long-acting beta agonist or a leukotriene receptor antagonist, such as Montelukast. And in general, what happens is people start with as-needed Ventolin, and then you may add in a preventer, and if they still have poorly controlled asthma, you either increase the strength of their preventer or add in a second agent and keep stepping up their preventative therapy until you have good asthma control. Great. That sounds very familiar to me. That's how I've been managing my patients. So why do we need to change what we're doing for adolescents? So there's a couple of reasons why we need to change. So the first thing is that we know people with asthma, including in the adolescent age group, still have poor outcomes. So lots of asthmatic patients still have symptoms regularly. They still miss school. They still can't do the sports or dancing that they want to do. They have other morbidity in other ways. So they, asthma is still a leading cause of hospital admissions in many age groups. Unfortunately, some adolescents with asthma still die. So a combination of those, that quality of life impairment, morbidity in terms of missing school and hospital presentations, and mortality mean that we need to do better and we have some evidence to show us that we can do better in the adolescent age group. Okay, so what therapy should we be using and what evidence do you have? Yes, so uh, this flows on from a lot of work that's been done in adult asthma and, and Australia and actually New Zealand have kind of led the way in some of these trials, so that's quite good. So the trials have centred around rather than using a short-acting beta agonist as the reliever of choice like Ventolin, instead using a, com a combination product that combines an inhaled corticosteroid and a long-acting beta agonist that also has an immediate onset of action. So the product that's been used is budesonide and formoterol. And so the advantage of, the, of using budesonide and formoterol as a reliever is that you get immediate bronchodilation, so some immediate relief, but then that lasts a lot longer than Ventolin would. And then also, because we've got the budesonide there, you also get an anti-inflammatory action. And we know that's a main part of asthma, but that hasn't been something we've ever targeted with our reliever therapy before. So before when we were using Ventolin, we were kind of ignoring the inflammatory aspect of asthma. But now 
uh, we know that if we use budesonide formoterol, we get the same bronchodilation, but it lasts longer and we get an anti-inflammatory effect. And so in three large scale international randomized controlled trials that included patients 12 years and older, we've seen that in mild asthmatics, using as needed budesonide formoterol gives you better outcomes than Ventanil alone. And it gives you equivalent outcomes to taking an inhaled corticosteroid every day and then using Ventolin as you need. But the advantage of the budesonide formoterol approach is you don't need that daily therapy. You can just take it when you need it. And we also know from older evidence that in patients who are taking budesonide formoterol morning and night, that they do better if they also take it as their reliever. So in the mild end, patients can just use budesonide formoterol as they need. And in the more severe end, they can use it as their preventer morning and night and their reliever. And that uh, in all situations that will use, provide superior control to a Ventolin-based regime. Sounds like something we all need to do. So I know it comes in different forms, budesonide and formoterol as a dry powder inhaler and a metered dose inhaler. So how do we choose between those two things for different people? Yeah, that's a good question. So all the well, the majority of the trials have been done using the dry powder inhaler. And so I think that that's the, my default choice because we remember we're talking about adolescents here, so people 12 years and older. And so most adolescents possess the coordination and technique to be able to take a dry powder inhaler well. The other great advantage of the dry powder inhaler is they don't need a spacer. And so, I mean, I know, I can't imagine many teenagers want to be walking around school with a spacer in their pocket. So it's a real uh, draw card for them that they don't need a, a spacer. And so for most patients, I will use the dry powder inhaler and it comes in a strength of 200 slash six micrograms. And it's just one inhalation for symptom relief. There are a few teenagers who won't be able to uh, use a dry powder inhaler just because they don't like it or they can't get the technique right. And they can use a metered dose inhaler the strength that they should use is the 100 slash three strength and they take two puffs, but then they're going to need to use a spacer and it's just a bit more of a hassle. So that's why I push the dry powder in hell. Yeah. So much more convenient for everyone. And I've recently talked to a few patients about this and I'm finding the parents are also getting onto this therapy and wondering why their GP hasn't suggested it for them. I think patients and parents really like it because it's just much more convenient. It's much more about getting symptom relief at the time you need it. It's in a more convenient delivery system. And yeah, it's really well proven in adults. So I think increasingly we'll see more adults on this therapy and we'll be wondering. And so it will be more mainstream for teenagers to want to use it too. Yeah. So you've just mentioned a whole lot of good things about um, the convenience of this therapy for families. I guess they also get used to treating their asthma in a certain way. Are there ways that we can help them make this change as well? Yes. I think the first thing is uh, some education. So it's a, it's a big change. And so, like I said, asthma has been managed the same way for roughly three decades. So there are many parents who are comfortable managing their children's asthma because they've grown up being managed the same way. So it needs a bit of an explanation. I've found that adolescents and their parents are very receptive at when it's explained to them and the pros highlighted, such as we're going to use an anti-inflammatory to as a reliever and that we can, you know, you don't need to take, a lot of kids don't need to take a preventer every day. They can just take it when they need and that gives them really good relief. So families are very receptive to the change. So one's education about getting them on board. 
who's education about inhaler technique because many of them haven't used the dry powder inhaler before. And three is supporting them uh, with written information. So asthma action plans are a key part of asthma care. The National Asthma Council has Bunesonide for, uh, for Motorola specific asthma action plans. And so I always um, make sure my patients leave with one of those. I've been talking to some doctors on the ward too recently, and some of them worry about what we should recommend when patients using this kind of therapy become unwell. So I'm going to take you through some of the questions that I often hear. So the first one is how frequently can people take these inhalers? Yeah, well, so the reliever dose uh, of the budesonide formoterol is one inhalation and kind of as a rule of thumb or, or something I just try to say to families is that that probably will provide them about the same symptom relief as taking six, six puffs of Ventolin. And so in a day, the maximum number of dry powder inhaler to, uh, inhalations you can have is 12. If someone's not on any maintenance therapy, they can have a total of 12 doses across the day. And then if they're needing more than that, that's when they should seek help either from their GP or the emergency department. If, for example, they're having a maintenance dose, which equates to two puffs a day, then that leaves them 10 spare doses of their, uh, of, of their budesonide formoterol. And then if people are using the metered dose inhaler, because it's half the strength, they can use double the amount of puffs. But the dose is two puffs for symptom relief. So they'd take two at a time and they're allowed to have 24 in a day. Okay. So with the dry powder inhaler, 12 a day, doesn't really matter how close apart those doses are. It's the total number in the day that we're worried about. Great. The second question, are they able to take a big enough breath to get that inhalation and that dose in when they're unwell? Yes. Uh, this is a question that has come up a lot in when I've spoken to other doctors too. And I understand the concern so that, you know, when you're well, you might be able to have appropriate technique, but that when you're in the midst of an asthma attack, you might not. And this is where I'm really happy that this therapy has been tested in the large scale randomized control trial. And we didn't see a safety signal. So it's not that we saw the people who were randomized to take the uh, budesonide formoterol had more unexplained or un, um, hospital presentations. And in fact, there, there are some data that show that children down to like early primary school can use dry powder inhalers even when they're unwell. So I think most 12-year-olds and older should be able to take this even in the midst of an asthma exacerbation. If there was a real concern that for whatever reason it wasn't going to work for your patient, that might be a, a patient that you put on a metered dose inhaler instead. Okay. Some people have also asked then, so if they aren't able to take it during a bad exacerbation, should they have some Ventolin up their sleeve or some short-acting beta agonist at home? The answer to this is, I guess, slightly complex. And so, it, and I wouldn't say there's a one size fits all approach. So there's no harm to them using some Ventolin. So let's say they forget to take their budesonide formoterol or they're really feeling like they get no relief and there happens to be some Ventolin there, very happy for them to use the Ventolin. The only reason why I hesitate with the answer and why I don't give all my patients some Ventolin as well as their budesonide formoterol is that there are definite advantages to taking budesonide formoterol as your reliever instead, mainly the anti-inflammatory action. And we're creatures of habit, so no one wants to change. So if someone has Ventolin there, often they're just going to go to take it. So that's why I try to encourage families to actually get rid of the Ventolin and really commit to using budesonide formoterol. But 
like I say, if there happen to be some Ventolin in the room and they really wanted to take it, I'm, you know, that's not a dangerous thing. They can do it. So I kind of tailor my answer about whether to have Ventolin available. I kind of tailor it depending on the family. All right. Sounds like it's best to use one medicine, stick to that, get used to that, get comfortable with that approach. Exactly right. Exactly right. Perfect. So when these patients do come to hospital, we do use Ventolin. We, we treat them as we do other patients with an acute exacerbation. Exactly right. So when, when they come to hospital, we want, I guess we're looking for quick responses and we want, we're very, we have a lot of care pathways that are all designed around using short-acting beta agonists. So I think, as, yeah, when they walk in the door of emergency, they just swap over to using Ventolin for bronchodilation and should just continue to use that during their admission. Right. So when they get better, we start them back on their budesonides and, and fomoterol when they go home. Correct. Yeah. So just when they, on discharge, they can just go straight back to taking their budesonide fomoterol. Maybe you get them to take a couple of doses in hospital so you can check their technique because that's, you know, always something we should be doing. Um, but yeah, just in general, in hospital, use Ventolin as soon as they go home, back to using budesonide fomoterol. Great. Sounds like a plan. So thanks for talking today, Shiv. I think we've covered a lot of useful ground. But talking is only useful if it changes what we do. So what do you want those listening to us today to put into action? That, that's a good point, Amy. I think there are three take-home messages that I'd love to get across and for people to put into practice in their clinical practice. One is that we need a new approach to adolescent asthma that relies less on Ventolin and maintenance and held corticosteroids. Two is that we have a new approach, which is an as-needed budesonide formoderol-based approach which is evidence-based, provides superior outcomes to traditional asthma care and works for all levels of asthma severity. And three is that no adolescent should be prescribed Ventolin alone anymore. Perfect. Message received. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Conversation with the Experts, part of the Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast series. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts, check out our other podcast channel. Teach. Think, Treat, where we discuss aspects related to teaching and learning in a busy clinical setting.